for joining us on this week's episode of Gateway to the Smokies. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the surrounding area. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep story history, and rich mountain cultures that we explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, a man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smokies for over 200 years. My business is travel, but my heart is in culture. In today's episode, we're going to learn about the sights and more importantly, about the sounds of the wilderness. But first, I'm going to give you a little bit of news. More, the, more than 6 million people have witnessed the heart-wrenching action and soaring triumph of Unto These Hills for over 70 years. And after being canceled in 2020, the legacy lives on in 2021. The iconic dra drama, staged in a large outdoor amphitheater, debuted for the season over memorable Memorial Day weekend and will run through August 14th. This show in Cherokee chronicles the tales of Cherokee life from 1780 to the 21st century. The show includes action-filled fight scenes, reenactments of cultural events, historical events, grief of Cherokee removal and the resilience of the Cherokee people and culture. Shows run every night except Sundays and matinees on Saturdays. You can find out more at visitcherokeenc.com. Also, I'm promoting a couple events at the Meadowlark Motel in Maggie Valley. There's going to be on July 7th through 8th, there's going to be a plot fest reunion weekend where they're going to talk about the plot hound, which is a state dog of North Carolina, and the, and the plans <laughs> to get a festival started. And it's going to include all, all sorts of uh, uh, celebrities and uh, historians like Bob Plot, who's a you know a acclaimed historian of the Plot Hound, and you're going to see family guns and accoutrements and hunting displays and pedigree displays, uh, mechanical bear bay, bear bay demo. You have uh, meet and greet. You have food. It's going to be a wonderful time. So come uh, and see the show. Come and experience the event. There's going to be a raffle of item, items donated by Gary Beatty of GT Hunting Supplies a book signing with Bob Plott and Jacob Plott, and there's going to be old-time hunting tunes and balance with William Ritter. Uh, and then there's going to be a, there's a fire and a pavilion and bonfires and all sorts of fun things to do. Then on July 17th, Darren Nicholson of Balsam Range fame is going to have a bluegrass band camp and concert uh, on Saturday, July 17th. And there's going to be a band workshop with uh, Dan Darren Nicholson, Audie Playlock, Eric Ellis, and Reed Jones. There'll be a songwriting uh, workshop with uh, Darren and his friends. There's going to be instrumental workshops with uh, uh, Reed and mandolin, bass with Reed, mandolin with Darren, banjo with Eric, and guitar with Audie. And then there'll be an all-star concert that night, so uh, which you can get separate tickets to. Um so today, I have an award-winning media host, a solar explorer, naturalist, ethnologist, author, and natural sound recorder, Dale Stewart, who has lived and learned from indigenous tribes on six continents while establishing his stellar reputation as one of the top solo explorers in the world today. How are you doing, Dale? I'm great, Joseph. How are you, my friend? Fine, fine. Is the weather cleared up down in Maggie? I mean, down in the Asheville area? It has. Yeah, good. So I, I understand that I did a little research. You started your career as a firefighter and commercial diver, but now you're an accomplished scientist and media personality with a radio show called Nature's Ed, Edge 
and a host of features on national TV like uh, Animal Planet and History Channel and Discovery Channel. So tell me, how did that amazing journey happen? Well, you know, I grew up in Louisiana, in South Louisiana and, and up in Central Louisiana and, and uh, kind of grew up as an outdoors person. I mean, my whole family uh, uh, loved the outdoors and, and we spent a great deal of time there. And so it was just sort of an evolution. Uh, I was one of those guys that never really wanted to uh, to have a real job, I guess, that, uh, you know, sitting behind a desk. I could never visualize myself sort of in that eight to five role. So it it uh, it just sort of morphed into me uh, seeking to go uh, other places and and learn how other people lived and, and about their culture. Well, that's fine. Uh, uh, an inquisitive mind is, seems to be a necessary part of what you do. So uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, so you've led this incredible life, and they're still going strong, and you always seem to be looking for new challenges. And you've 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 crossed the Bering Strait in, in a kayak, and you yeah. traversed the Amazon River in a canoe. So, yeah. are, are those your favorite solo trips, or are there others? You know, I really, I, and I get asked this question a lot. You know, about picking a favorite, and I, it, you know, I really don't have a favorite. You know, I, I've I've been to some amazing places, and and every place that I've gone to, uh, I selected uh, for a specific reason, whether it was you know, the, the environment, whether it was the culture, the people that were there, whether it was the wildlife that was there. So every place I've gone has had a uniqueness to it that I find uh, uh, exhilarating. And as a solo explorer, I mean, one of the reasons I think anyone gets into exploration is uh, is to gain knowledge and to learn. And then to, to I think it's also important to come back and share that knowledge. So Picking one spot would be extremely difficult because they all have their their uniqueness about them. Well, is um, you know, I, uh, I I I'm a travel marketer, right? And yep. uh, and I did research into what people, you know, what makes travel, uh, you know, what will get people to do, you know, to do to revisit things like that and go back to something else. And it's and it's and there's a concept called memorable travel tourism experiences. In academia, they've invented, but I've sort of taken it and made it into a practical approach. And um, but basically, there's there's you have experiences that become flashbulb memories in your head, right? Yeah, that you just remember them vividly. And it's really if you experience some several one of one or two or three of several emotions, like you know you got to you got to have the 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 immersion into a local culture. Yeah, uh, and that that sort of feeling of belonging, or new knowledge that you got, or hedonism, you know, food and drink, or or refreshment, like a feeling of. So, what would make what makes a a, a solo exploring trip very memorable? That you have these flashbulb memories, and do you have any that you can mention? Well, <clears throat> sure. I mean, I have a lot of them, because <laughs> every time I, I do. A, an expedition, whether it's solo or whether I'm just uh, traveling, uh, you know, there there are always things that I'm looking for to try to try to gather. I think, you know, one of the things about traveling around the world that I've been fortunate enough to do that that probably made the largest impression on me um, was the hospitality of the people. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether it was the hospitality of the people uh, uh, in a remote. A tribal village in the Amazon, or whether it was a hospitality of uh, of a people in a larger city, 
that the way people treat one another one on one to me is has always been one of the things that sort of stood out uh, for me. And then, of course, you know, the, you have the scenery and 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 the sounds and, and learning to use your other senses and everything else that, that make each individual place unique within its own right. You know, uh, isn't that, you know, isn't that interesting? It's like you go to these faraway places and, you, you know, to see a giant mountain or a long river or some animal or something like that, you know, but then you come away with a deep memory of the people, right, and the yeah. interactions with the local culture, and that really is what s- sets these trips apart, you know, in a lot of ways. You know, in that, in that like, um, traditionally what, you know, you live in the bayou, but we're talking about the Smoky Mountains, you know, living in, in really strong cultural traditions isn't that why people come back in a lot of ways to to those cultures to go visit? Well, I think so. You know, growing up in Louisiana, certainly I was surrounded by a lot of different and various cultures, you know, from the Creole culture to the Cajun culture, uh, the Homa Indian uh, culture, uh, and, and the various unique cultures. And I think that was really one of the things that made me want to get out there and see what, what the rest of the world was like and, and, look and really study these other cultures and, and, uh, and try to learn as much as I could about them. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, I mar- married my wife, you know, in, in 2017, I met her in 2014. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the things that sealed the deal with me is she actually took me to Trinidad early wow. in our relationship. And I got to experience actually doing the, their, their version of Mardi Gras, which is called playing Moss or, you know, uh, a carnival, uh, and it was just such a, an, a deep, enriching experience. I just love being part of that family uh, experience. I think that that she, she set me up that way. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. It seems like, and, and you mentioned this in travel. I mean, every time I speak to someone that that's been to a location, particularly out of the United States, they always say, "Man, I I can't wait to go back there." Uh, so it it does, you know, and I. I I think at heart we're all explorers and we all like to do that. You know, when I leave a place, I'm I'm looking for that next adventure, that next location. But I find that most people want to go back to where they just returned from for one reason or another. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, the, you know, the marketing industry and the hospitality industry counts on that, frankly. Yeah, no, it's, it's called revisit attention and brand loyalty and all that sort of stuff. And we, we, you know, essentially business couldn't really survive if you didn't have that. So, you know, the vast majority of people, you know, are uh, love to go back to the comfort of what they know because they have that that warm memory. But there's others, you know, I, I'm a big, you know, I, I love to go exploring as well. I do it in different ways. You know, I, I'm not the adventurer that you are. <laughs> But uh, I, I understand the drive of it. And if you know, I'd come up more of an outdoorsman, I probably would be uh, following a path similar to yours. <laughs> you know, you can explore anywhere. You can explore in your own backyard or in your own, own uh, community you live in. So th- there's always a way to do it. I like to explore the big cities. I like there to explore the culture and the depths of it you know, and that sort of stuff. But I love, you know, I also love to go to a small town too. I love where people congregate in, in commerce and, and living and to understand the pathways that are happening there. 
But anyway, yeah. let's back to the Smokies because I do. That's where my heritage and what I grew up with. And you know, being a self-centered guy that it is, I got to celebrate the culture that produced me. <laughs> so living here there in the Smokies, you know, people are, are very. Uh, are, I mean, I've seen some articles. People are very intrigued by your Cherokee Trail of Tears trip. Yeah, you retraced the infamous Tale of Tears by kayak. A 60-day, 1,300-mile trip from Chattanooga to Fort Gibson, Oklahoma. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how it came about? Well, absolutely. I, you know, I was looking for something to do uh, here in, in the United States. Uh, most of my expeditions had been overseas or in other locales. <clears throat> Although I had paddled some of the major rivers here in the United States, like the Mississippi and the Missouri and the Ohio. And so I was looking around, and, and I had – a lot of good friends over in Cherokee with the Eastern Bay of the Cherokee Indian. And also uh, because I'm somewhat of a historian was aware that the 175th anniversary of the Trail of Tears was coming up uh, back in 2012. And uh, when I did this, and so I began to look around and, and decided uh, was over talking to some of the, uh, some of the elders in Cherokee. And they asked me about the water route. They knew I paddled and they said, what do you know about the water route? And I said, nothing. I didn't even know there was a water route at that time. And I found that most people did not know that. So I started looking around and decided, hey, you know, this is something that, that I need to do both to bring attention to the Trail of Tears and, and something uh, and, and to bring attention to the fact that there was a water route. And uh, what many people don't know, uh, the Trail of Tears also, as you're probably aware, Joseph, not only include the Cherokee, but also the, the Chickasaw, the Choctaw, the Creek, and, and the Seminole, the five. The, the five tribes. civilized tribes, yeah. And so. all of them were removed by water at some point, some some portion of them. The Seminole were removed 100% by water. So I decided to retrace the water route and started in Chattanooga on the Tennessee River and paddled it up to the Ohio and then turned left on the Ohio River to the Mississippi and Turned south on the Mississippi to the Arkansas River, and then paddle the Arkansas River to Oklahoma. Wow. Well, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about that and then find out about some of the other adventures that you've had. Absolutely. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Dale Stewart. So, Dale, I was uh, searching around, reading a little bit about you and saw an interview you did in the Sylvian, I think, newspaper about the about your Cherokee trip. And you said one could say the Cherokee Nation is one of the most successful nations or tribes or tribes around. And I don't mean in the casino business. What did you mean? Well, they have a. Uh, a not only a great culture, uh, but they're survivors. I mean, you know, a lot of, uh, as, as most of the uh, uh, Indian nations have been, they're, they're great survivors. I mean, if, if you look at what they went through with the, uh, with the Roundup prior to the Trail of Tears, and you look at the division, if, if you will, of, of, the, uh, of the Cherokee. Of course, you have the Cherokee, eastern bound of the Cherokee, located in western North Carolina on the Kuala Boundary. You have the Cherokee Nation now, which is in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. And then you have the Kadua Band of Cherokee, which is also uh, headquartered. And so even though they've, they've had a separation of, of, in many ways, 
uh, they're still very successful as a tribe in uh, in everything they do. Yeah, not just a casino, but but in other other endeavors that they have done in keeping their language alive and and continuing to to keep their culture alive and uh, just the way they celebrate their their lifestyle. Well, I read and in that I read that uh, you were talking about how this water. Um, water voyage was the, the when they did it they were surprisingly organized about it right or unexpectedly yeah. not from maybe at the time but from our our perception of what the trail of tears is yeah you know one of the things that the the cherokee were actually the the one of the last tribes removed if not the last tribe removed and a lot of that had to do with their they had good uh uh, political uh, insight uh, in Washington, D.C., and were able to, through a number of, of legal maneuvers and other things, were able to kind of delay the, uh, the inevitable, which, which was the removal. Uh, <clears throat> but one of the things they negotiated was they actually uh, were able to organize and, and do a lot of the removal uh, themselves, uh, where, uh, yes, they, had, they still had uh, military escorts and such, but for the most part, they were able to, uh, to, to uh, do it themselves. And even the, uh, even on the water route, uh, you have to understand that early on, all of the tribes, uh, the federal government really wanted to remove all the tribes by water. They thought it would be faster, quicker, and easier. Uh, found out that it was not the case. It might've been quicker, but it was certainly, the rivers were certainly not what they are today. And, and, uh, they, they pretty much just, packed them on, on barges, uh, uh, shoulder to shoulder in, in the heat and, uh, you know, dysentery and other diseases became uh, very commonplace uh, on that. And I know when I paddled the, the water route, uh, the summer that I paddled it in 2012, I paddled for, I think it was 20 something days with a temperature in excess of a hundred degrees. Oh gosh. <laughs> and I can just imagine what, uh, you know, and I had pretty sophisticated gear with me. Uh, so I could just imagine what uh, these these uh, the removal Indians had to suffer just being packed uh, like sardines on a on a on a barge of some uh, of some kind. Well, I you know I complain about having to walk uh, to the coffee shop on a hundred degree day in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I heard there was a documentary and a book about that trip that you were working on. Is that, that become available? Well, not yet. And, you know, and I get asked that question a lot. Yeah. Uh, the book is probably 98% finished. Uh, what happens is life gets in the way. Oh, always, always, <laughs> always. Of other things. And, and so it's just a matter of me finding a, a little opportunity to, to finish the book up and, and get it out there, uh, which I want to do. I mean, uh, as I said, I'm a big believer in, in sharing knowledge and what we found out and I've been very lucky. I, I still, to this day, get asked to speak a lot about the Trail of Tears and, and uh, about other things. And and uh, and people always ask me the other question, are you Cherokee or do you have any? No, I'm Scottish. I'm pretty much. <laughs> well, I really, as far as I know, have have uh, uh, no Indian uh, heritage in my background. Uh, but having said that, uh, I, I always think it's important to share these kind of historic events uh, so that we don't repeat them and so that we don't forget about them. Yeah, I think it's important yeah. as well. I, I really admired you for doing that. Um, so you have literally explored and lived for weeks and months at a time on six continents, experiencing yeah. 
days at a time at a hundred degree temperature in swampy waters. Uh, let's not mention that. Uh, so, so you have experienced some of the most amazing places in the world and could live anywhere you wish, yet you chose to settle in Asheville and have made it your own for years. What makes Asheville and the surrounding region so special to you? And why did you choose to make your home there? The Smoky Mountains, the, uh, the miles and miles of hiking trails, the, uh, uh, the placid lakes, the streams, the water, the white water, um, pretty much anything that I, I want to do, I, I've got, uh, and, and we have available to us here in Western North Carolina, as well as uh, a lot of people may not know or forgot, the highest mountains on the eastern coast of the United States are located in, in Western North Carolina. Yeah, so, like my, my, Mount Mitchell, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Mount Mitchell is the tallest. We have other mountains. Yeah. You know, they're over 6,000 feet. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I love those mountains. I do, too. I, you know, I like I like skyscrapers and the top of mountains. It's, <laughs> I like yeah, the view. Yeah. There's nothing like climbing up on the top of a mountain and yeah. spending the night and being up there when the sun comes up. Yeah. I yeah. uh, remember as a kid, uh, my, my brother and I used to, Go to the top of the property where we lived and had a great view. We built ourselves a fort up there. We go sleep up, sleep up there sometimes just to wake up. <laughs> yeah, so, well, you uh, know, Haywood, Haywood County has some of the best hiking trails in in Western North Carolina. So yeah. around Maggie Valley and areas that you're very familiar with. Yeah, they're great. They're oh, there's stupendous trails. Absolutely. So, what are your favorites? What is your favorite Smoky Mountain adventure? Oh goodness. Uh, you know, it, again, it's kind of like asking me where's my favorite place. It's, it's <laughs> difficult to name, and I, you know, I wake up on any given morning and I kind of decide if uh, when I want to get outside, whether I want to go hiking or whether I want to grab one of my boats and 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 go paddle, or, or do I want to combine the two, which I, which I often do. Uh, yeah. But I, I think you know, again, I, I'm still exploring these mountains. Uh, I've lived here now nearly 20 years, and there's still many places that I have have yet to trod. And, uh, and also I don't really, I'm not one to, to sort of follow the trails that are already that people know out there. I, I tend to go make my own path, uh, mainly because when I'm out there, I don't want to see other people. <laughs> well, you know, uh, the, the, in the art world, they once asked, I think it was Picasso, maybe it was Matisse, what his favorite painting he had done was. Yeah. And he said the next one. So what's your next <laughs> adventure? <laughs> You know, that's, that's, uh, uh, and we, we can talk about this a little later, but you know, I've really got into recording nature sounds. And, oh, and, yeah. sounds. Yeah. and uh, so pretty much what I'm doing now are, are geared around that. Uh, and, uh, but probably my, my next out of country trip, uh, will be back to, uh, back to East Africa, Kilimanjaro area. Cool. Well, is there any uh, favorite hiking or canoeing? Or, well, you know, let's not say favorite. What immediately comes to mind of a good hiking spot and canoeing spot you would recommend so people go visit when they come there? Well, of course, the Appalachian Trail comes through here, and the, and people can can take different uh, different walks on it. Um, let's see, uh, the, the Black Balsam Trail uh, is a good trail. Um, Deep Creek Trail. Uh, is another a trail that I like. Cole Mountain uh, has some great trails uh, that you can walk. And then, uh, of course, I really like, um, I'm a big fan of Forrest Gephardt. 
And uh, I really like the Gephardt uh, Prong Trail over in the, in the Smoky Mountain National Park. Oh, cool. Yeah, th- th- those are all really great ones. Uh, any stream that's great for canoeing? Oh, any of them. If, if there's enough water for me to get get my boat in, I'm I'm all all for it. Of course, I don't live very. Well, actually, I can almost throw a rock to the French Broad River from where I live. So I spend a lot of time on the French Broad, and and uh, it's just kind of a, can be a nice, easy uh, uh, river to be on. Or if it's heavy rain, it can be something else. If I want a little more excitement, I can head over to the Natahalia and and uh, get in a little white water and and uh, uh, get up there. But uh, in the summertime, these these rivers like these trails can get awfully busy. So I'm I'm looking for that that next little creek that I can get on that doesn't have a lot of people on it. <laughs> so uh, so let's talk food. You're uh, you're a Louisiana native, and we know that yeah, oh, yeah yeah you know that there's some great food in Louisiana. So I'm sure you have a good appreciation of various cuisines, especially southern cuisines. Tell me about your favorite places in the Smokies around Asheville that we want to visit. Oh, man. Uh, again, there are a lot of great little small restaurants in, in the Asheville area and in Western North Carolina. Uh, one place that I find going to quite a bit, uh, just because I like sitting outside, is is, uh, is the Hemingway uh, Cafe in, in downtown Asheville. They've got a great rooftop area, place to sit. And you were mentioning I was from Louisiana. When I get a hankering for beignets, there's a great little New Orleans cafe in the Grove Park Inn that sells beignets and, and that great uh, Louisiana coffee, community coffee. Uh, oh, wow. So uh, it's there. So, I, you know, but but just like exploring, I my wife and I like to seek out little little sort of out-of-the-way restaurants that, that have great food, and they're sort of scattered around everywhere. Yeah, it's a really surprising how you can just, uh, you know, stop stop at some uh, looks like a hole in the wall and go in there and just really have a great meal. You know, it's, uh, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, people get very quick. You know, the Asheville area has become a foodie haven. Um, oh, it has. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That and that and uh, and beer. That and beer. <laughs> you can definitely get uh, get get gain your the weight you need to stock up for your adventures. Yeah, <laughs> Asheville. Yeah. Well, you know, craft beer become big in Western North Carolina, not just Asheville, but uh, yeah. you know, almost any of the little towns you go into has got a craft beer place now. Now, you also know a little bit about Highlands. You have a cabin out there, right? What do you like? Yeah, about that? what do you like okay. about that area? Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, uh, you know the Highland Cashers area uh, is just another one of those great little places that uh, you sort of got to be wanting to go there to get there. But, uh, you know, Highlands, North Carolina, is, is just an amazing little town. You know, in, in the wintertime, I, I think there's less than 900 people there, and then it sort of explodes in the summer because a lot of people have second homes there, particularly the Atlanta crowd tends to come up there. But, again, there's great, great uh, outdoor areas, great hiking areas, great restaurants uh, in, that, in that area, and, uh, and great people. It, one of the things that I find surprising is, I'm always excited when I find somebody that's a native from up there. <laughs> there's not many of them, it seems. <laughs> well, it, yeah, there was never big. You know, it's like when I was growing up, Maggie Valley's was a hundred people. Now it's yeah. they claim to have you know lots more. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. so when we come back, we're going to talk about your sounds of the wilderness. It sounds very interesting. Yeah, absolutely.
Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with uh, Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest Dale Stewart. So Dale, you know, I'm uh you know, I'm a, I'm also an artist and some of my actually some of the most profound artistic experiences I've had going to shows or museums have been sound installations where people will do slices of life or, you know, or the nature or whatever. I, I remember also as a kid hear, hearing for the first time the sounds of a whale on a, a recording. And it just blew me away because I didn't even know they could do that sort of thing. So you have, uh, you know, you've been doing this thing of, you know, the sounds of the wilderness and you have this recording career and you've been, uh, you've done some incorporating natural sounds and some uh, records by country artists, correct? Right. So, can you yeah. talk about some of that and what you've done and who you've worked with? Well, yeah. I mean, sound is is something that I really developed uh, as a solo explorer. I mean, one of the as as humans, uh, sound is one of those things that keeps us safe. Uh, and so, when I was out there in the middle of nowhere by myself, not only was I using uh, my, my vision to see what was going on. I was using my ears and, and, and my other senses, you know, smell and, and all of those things uh, that, that go into uh, to, to analyzing what's going on in an environment. And certainly if you're in, the, if you're deep in the jungle and you're, you hear a lot of animals and you hear a lot of things going on and then all of a sudden everything just shuts down. Uh, that's, that's can be a warning sign that uh, there might be something else out there that you need to be aware of. But uh, one, of the, one of the great regrets I have is that early on, uh, uh, going back, gosh, nearly 40 years now, uh, that I didn't have my recorder with me uh, on many of the trips and many of the places I've gone. It, it, it's one of the things that makes me want to go back and, and record, those, record those sounds again. But I, I guess... Uh, you know, probably the last 10 or 12 years, I've gotten very involved with recording uh, what we call soundscapes. And a, a soundscape is sort of the sounds of a given environment. So I could I could have my, my equipment and record a sound in downtown New York City or downtown Asheville um, and also take those recordings and, and go high into the mountains uh, of, uh, of Western North Carolina and record the, the sounds that uh, of a of a brook, of a waterfall, of birds as they land in trees, and and I also learned that uh, the sounds change right at right at dusk and right at daylight. You you go from sort of the the daytime sounds to the nighttime sounds, and that was that's become pretty pretty interesting to me. And I built a a pretty large library, if you will, of, of these sounds. One of the things that I've been doing uh, for a number of years now is doing binarial or, or immersive sounds and binarial sound recording is is the way we hear as humans we have two ears that we hear in oh, and yeah. when, I'm, when i'm looking head on to you and i'm talking you're hearing me in both of your ears but if you turn one way or the other you're going to pick up the sound in that ear first it's going to travel through uh, to the other ear and so binarial recording really records sounds the way the the human actually hears them so i've I've gotten to do that, and as I develop documentaries, does that, does that require special equipment? Or it does. All right. It requires special microphones and 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 uh, and a little knowledge. It is a little more to it than just sticking a microphone out there and recording something. Right. Uh, but yeah, um, so I kind of got known for doing that and immersive, and I also consider myself a storyteller. 
So in doing documentaries or auto documentaries, I was looking for some way to, to integrate this sound that could actually pull you into the, uh, to, to what I was doing or into the environment that the story was taking place. And I found immersive sound or 3D sound or binaural sound actually did that because now the sound is coming from you in all directions and not just uh, in a mono or, or stereo type, type thing. You were talking about the, the music industry and, and some things. Uh, a number of years ago, and most of this has been with producers buying the sounds more so than working specifically with a given artist. So a, a producer, excuse me, may purchase a, a sound of, of running water or birds or something else, and they may use that, that sound in two or three different recordings with two or three different artists. So it's, it's kind of all over the place. And then, of course, I work a lot with uh, with nature documentary uh, people that are doing things for National Geographic, Discovery Channel, History Channel, uh, Travel Channel, uh, where, again, we're, we're starting to use more and more immersive sounds in those documentaries to help pull the people in, not just visually, but but uh, with sound. You were talking about artists. I have I have worked with a couple now uh, wildlife photographers who have. Had, um, had had shows of their work, and they asked me to to attach a sound card to their picture, and that's oh. that's been interesting, and I've I've really enjoyed doing that. That is cool. I mean, you know, all of a sudden my mind is going a lot of different ways, and this is what this is what triggers me these kind of things. You know, content is king. I got another I got another podcast called Wise Content. You know, creates yeah, creates wealth. Right. And content is king, but wise content rules the world. And, you know, it's about having uh, more than just written word. It's, you know, it's all sorts of stuff. It strikes me as, especially in a travel destination, especially something like the Smokies, it'd be interesting to have certain articles that also have a sound, right, of the area. That would be sort of cool, right? You, you could right. actually... You can hear the sound of the waterfall or you can hear the sound of the night when the fireflies are out and that sort of thing. Uh, that That's actually uh, artistic, romantic, and uh, interesting all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's funny you mentioned fireflies. I mean, one of the other things that, that's great in, in which you know about, I'm sure, but, you know, we have a, a, a synchronized uh Firefly exhibit in the Smoky Mountains uh, this time of year. You know, first of May, first of June, over in the uh, in in the uh, Smoky Mountain National Park. And uh, I mean, it's just where millions and millions of these fireflies come together during the mating season, and it's it's truly a sight to behold. And do they, and do they have a sound too? They do somewhat. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've actually recorded it. It's uh, it's not uh, it's. It's almost like recording a bunch of mosquitoes, but not quite as, <laughs> as, quite as buzz. Yeah, I, but yeah, but I, you know, I've, I'm always looking at ways to record things. I mean, I've taken little lapel microphones, if you will, and stuck them up in rotting uh, logs and trees just to record the insects that are in there. Uh, it's it's quite unusual. Do you find it? Do you? I mean, I, I'm assuming that there's some uh, importance there, but. Do you find it, it um, you know, that it's important for us to totally immerse ourselves in uh, true wilderness experiences on that, you know, and, and through media? Well, absolutely. I, you know, that that's uh, I think it's not only healthy uh, for us, uh, 
but I think it's necessary to, uh, to, to get out there to really just sit and listen. One of the things that I often do when I'm hiking, if I do come across people, people always ask you, what do you see? I always ask them what they heard. And that kind of, <laughs> that kind of throws them off. But, you know, if, if you go into any, any environment and just sit down and close your eyes and listen, you will come away from that environment with a, with a different appreciation than you have just if you look at it visually. Wow. No, I, uh, I, 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 I see that it, it, you know, again, you, you've stimulated the whole, uh, you know, that creative context of my mind. It's like, I can imagine having a, 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 a um, what are the, whatever you call them, uh, say a pole with the sound headphones on it in the middle of the New York city street, where you put it on and you hear the sounds in their mountains. But then you can also have a pole on a hiking trail in the mountains where that sound come from. And then you list it and put it on and you hear a New York City street. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. By the way, I've recorded in downtown New York City. So it's, well, that, that's, another kind, that's another kind of wilderness there, right? And absolutely. <laughs> and, it, it, and, uh, and, and takes a different mindset to survive there. But I did want to say, I mean, I love using the sounds of a soundscape, not only in my radio show and podcast, but but uh, because it, it draws people in. You know, for a long time, we would pull out ambient sounds and we didn't want to hear them. You know, if I'm if I'm interviewing someone on the street in downtown Asheville, I want them. I want the people to hear the cars going by. I want them to hear the the, the, the different sounds of the city because that helps place the listener in the location that you're actually recording in. Well, I would, uh, when you come over the Meadowlark, I'd love you to do a little bit of recording there because people talk about how the, 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 there's a confluence of two creeks there, plus there's a little bit of traffic, but it's muffled by the buildings, and it yeah. creates this really sense of, you know, of uh, nostalgia, but without being non-modern, and it's really relaxing. But you're still, oh, yeah. you're still yeah. I'd love to see what that sounds like in a recording. So that's kind of cool. This day and age, if uh, when I show up somewhere, most people have their camera bag. I have my, my recording bag, so we All can right. certainly do that. All right. All right, so when we come back, we'll finish up talking about uh, some of your favorite places that are unique in the mountains to go uh, do some sound recordings. All right. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Dale Stewart. So, Dale, um, you were, we were talking about sounds. Um, where are, besides the fireflies, where are there some unique sounds in the Smokies wilderness to uh, have adventures? Well, you know, it kind of depends on what I'm looking to record or what I'm looking for. Uh, for instance, cicadas, uh, cicada. Uh, bugs are out now and, and are, are coming out after 17 years. And that's something that I absolutely want to uh, want to record. So I, I, I seek out locations that might have a specific sound that I'm, I'm wanting to, uh, to, to go after to record. Uh, of course I have hours and hours of waterfalls and water sounds and, and uh, different things, but uh I enjoy going over in the Kuala Boundary in Cherokee and, and recording the elk sounds, you know, the bugle of the elk. A lot of people don't realize that don't live here, but we have a 
fairly large elk herd now uh, established in uh, particularly around Cherokee and then and Maggie Valley. There's some of the elk tend to move into that area, but they, they're they're around over there. So I love to go there and record them. I enjoy going on top of mountains. As we said, you talked about Mount Mitchell and some of the others because you get a not only a different environment, but a, a different sound up there. It's a great place to go record wind. I also love to go in caves. Um, and there are a number of caves scattered around uh, Western North Carolina that I can go in and record everything from from bat sounds to uh, to other other critters that I might locate in there. So it really uh, almost any place you go, including your backyard, you can you can get some great sounds. And I often have people ask me about, gosh, I wish I had all that fancy equipment you have. But look, if you got a if you've got a, a smartphone. You've got a pretty good tool to record with, and it's a great way just to start. And it's a great way, uh, I tell hikers, uh, you know, when you're out there taking pictures, turn on that smartphone and record the same environment that you took the picture in. And when you get back, not only look at the photograph, but listen to the sounds that were going on around you at that time. So it's 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 something that uh, that you can do almost anywhere to do that. I will say one of the things that, that also got me into sound recording, I've been called a, a, an ethnologist uh, quite a bit, and it's, it's a title that I, I take, take on. And, and a, an ethnologist studies different cultures and, and societies. And uh, I was mentioning other, when I'm recording uh, uh, an interview with someone from a specific culture, I also want to get those sounds uh, of that culture. If I'm recording in South Louisiana on a shrimp boat, I've got microphones set up so I can hear the sounds of the boat. I want to hear the sounds of the that clicking sound that shrimp make. I want to hear the the, the people on the boat as they as they do their thing. And at the same time, I'm I'm talking to to a Cajun shrimper about uh, about his life and about his culture. So sound is is an important thing. Where do you um do you have do you have any um places that people can hear your sounds? Is there any, is there anything online or is there an album or something like that? Well, not, not too much. I mean, I, I do post sounds from time to time on, on my social media pages and I'm on all of the, you know, the Facebooks, the Twitter, the Instagram, the, the LinkedIn and all that. So from time to time I, I post things on there. I will say this because I get asked more and more and more about them. Uh, we are developing a new website, which, Hopefully, it'll be up in in the next thirty days, and people will be able to go there and actually download uh, uh, some of the sounds that uh, that I have out there. Uh, and also, if they want to purchase them, they'll be able to purchase uh, some of the sound libraries there as well. Wow! Well, I invite you to uh, to have a we can have an exhibit at our new uh, our exhibit at our new Smountain, Smoky Mountain Heritage Center, where we can have some earphones and people can put it on and hear some of those sounds that you got. On. Absolutely, yeah. You need to you really need headphones to listen to the immersive stuff. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but but otherwise, you really don't. And and I you know I invite people go out there and you know listen. I think people have forgot to listen. Unless they're listening to somebody talk on their on their iPad or their iPhone or something. <laughs> so you've worked on a lot of stuff, all right. You've you've got a Nature's Ed podcast. You've got a radio. You've, you've been worked. You've worked on documentary films. You worked with country artists on their songs or whatever. Or mu- the sounds on their songs and recordings. Yeah. Can you tell us what's going on currently and what you have planned for the future? Absolutely. One of the one of the exciting things that I'm working on right now, I mentioned earlier, Horace Gephardt, uh, who a lot of people in Western North Carolina certainly know, uh, 
one of the fathers of the Great Smoky Mountains and and uh, an author who who has written many books. But he had, his his children were also quite quite remarkable. And one of them, Leonard Gephardt, uh, was the first American to climb Kilimanjaro in East Africa. And uh, Leonard was sent over there actually uh, by the Department, U.S. Department of Agriculture to look for seeds and, and grasses that could be used in the United States. And uh, uh, I felt that this was a story that needed to be told. And I'm, I'm friends with Libby Gephardt, who uh, uh, Leonard is her uncle and, and Horace is a great grandfather. And, and being able to uh, uh, Libby and I started talking and, and I found out she found the, the journals of, of, uh, of Leonard, uh, and was kind enough to share those with me. And I said, this is a story that needs to be tell told. And I love telling stories about people who uh, really have kind of been lost to history. And Leonard Gephardt is one of those people. If, if you ask most people who was the first American to climb Kilimanjaro, they ha- wouldn't have a clue. No, I wouldn't have a clue. That's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. We're working on that, and and that will be uh, that should be finished uh, by late summer, early fall, and I'm looking forward to getting it out there. And you're, it's a it's a different kind of documentary because it's purely an auto documentary, but we're lo- we're utilizing immersive sounds of East Africa in that documentary, wow. like uh, has ever been done before. Well, that sounds so, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've gotten big into Audible lately, so I'm looking forward to <laughs> hearing that. That's great. So, uh, and uh, you're you're going to finish that Cherokee Trails book, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's one of the things. I, you know, besides what I'm doing here, I'm also involved with doing some things uh, for the Smithsonian Folkways uh, with with recording different cultures and different things. And right behind finishing up with Leonard, I've already got two or three other. Uh, projects that I've been asked to do, and and I'm also doing uh, sound on a new uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt uh, documentary that'll that'll be coming out uh, probably late next year, uh, and uh, a lot of the sounds uh, of his expeditions in Africa and in South uh, uh, America, they're using uh, using me to put those together for them. So, how do people reach out to fi- follow you? Well, again, the uh, the the Facebook uh, uh, page. Uh, you know, if you, if you go to Dale Stewart, also uh, you can go in and type in Nature's Edge. You can also go to you can if you really want to know a lot about me, go to Google and, and type in my name, Dale Stewart, and put Explore afterwards, and you'll probably learn more about me than you ever want to know. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much. I understand you might be speaking at the Metal Arc Smoky Mountain Heritage Center later this year. So I look forward to hearing that. That sounds great. And I appreciate you for being on the show. Uh, Now I have to do do my my shout outs now. This is the awkward moment where I have to talk about things. (laughs) But you can can find out more about this podcast at gatewaytothesmokies.fun. And you can subscribe to our newsletter to get updates on upcoming episodes. Um, I want you to imagine a place evocative of motor courts of the past, yet modern and vibrant with a chic Appalachian feel. A place for adventure and for relaxation. Imagine a place where you can fish in a mountain heritage trout stream, grill the catch on a fire and eat accompanied by fine wine or craft beers. Imagine a place with old-time music and world cultural sounds. There is no other place like the Meadowlark Motel in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. Your Smoky Mountain adventure starts with where you stay.
Smokiesadventure.com. That's uh, Smokies, plural, adventure, singular.com. Information and listings about the Smokies. It's got hiking, wedding, venues, books, trail maps, resources to experience the Smokies. The emphasis is on outdoor recreation, outdoor life events, events like weddings and adventures, along with providing information on lodging, family entertainment, events, conventions, honeymoons, and more. Is the goal of this site is to become the leading information on a portal on the Smoky Mountains. Um, I remind you uh, that next week we are going to have Lisa McBride, owner of WNYC Farm to Table, an online local market food market, manager of Jackson County Farmers Market, and founder of From the Ground Up, a local food collaborative in Silva Colloway. That should be a very interesting discussion on uh, farm-to-table food in the mountains of North Car- of Smoky Mountains area. Um, you can catch this podcast always, I forgot to mention, on Facebook.com slash Gateway to the Smokies podcast, where you can see the Zoom feed live every week on Tuesdays from 6 to 7. And I remind you, this, we're on the talkradio.nyc network, where you can see lots of uh, great podcasts uh, every day live. Uh, the one after this is about New York. So you can go from the mountains of North Carolina to the urban landscapes of New York City and find out about the history and culture here. So thank you for joining me. See you next week on the Gateway to the Smokies. Mm-hmm.